1: The FT.
2: Welcome back to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. We kick off the podcast this week with a look at the UK's comprehensive spending review and what it means for the energy sector in the UK. We will then look at the all group TNK BP and its moves to diversify outside of Russia.
3: T N K B P is taking advantage of the moment that B P needs to sell its assets. Things change very quickly in Russia, so who knows what will happen in the future, but for now they're all smiles.
2: And we'll end the show with China's five year plan for energy efficiency.
0: Energy efficiency is all over China. But saving energy is painful and upgrading plants to make them more efficient is expensive.
2: To discuss the UK Government's Comprehensive Spending Review, we welcome Dr Jim Fitzgerald, the Assistant Director and Ernst Young's Renewable Energy Practice, and the FT's Environment Correspondent, Fiona Harvey. And joining us on the line in a moment will be Catherine Belton in Moscow to shed some light on the TNKBP situation, and Leslie Hook in Beijing, who will be bringing us up to date with China. So let's start with the announcements yesterday by George Osborne, the Chancellor. Among the flagship environmental announcements were a £1 billion for a new investment bank to dispense on low-carbon infrastructure projects, up to £1 billion for a plant to demonstrate carbon capture and storage technology, £200 million for renewable energy that will mainly be devoted to offshore wind and the port's infrastructure. But there was also a sting in the tail for business with the news of a change to the carbon reduction commitment scheme. Uh, Fiona, I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that.
1: Quite a big sting in the tail, in fact, for businesses, Uh, a £1 billion a year sting it will amount to. It's being called a carbon stealth tax, and you can see why. Basically, what's happened is that there is a a regulation called the Carbon Reduction Commitment, the CRC, uh, which uh, only came into force uh, at the end of September. So it's it's very recent. It's a very new piece of regulation. Businesses are still struggling to get to grips with it. And indeed, uh, we've heard from a lot of businesses that they really have been struggling with the, the Complexity of it. And what's happened is that the government has reduced the complexity of the system by forcing businesses to pay more money. And so, what would have happened under the old system is that companies would have had to pay for permits to cover their carbon dioxide emissions, but the money that they paid in uh, would have been recycled within the system. So, that would have meant that a company that was inefficient, that had a lot of emissions, it would have had to pay a a penalty in the form of buying permits. And that money would have been paid out as a bonus to the companies at the top of the list, the companies who were most efficient. So it was a way of sort of penalising inefficient companies, rewarding uh, the most efficient. And it was a sort of a a merry-go-round of money within a system that was supposed to give people an incentive to try and be at the top of that league table to have the fewest emissions. That has all changed. And what's happening now is that companies will just have to pay for their emissions. Uh, The money will not be recycled. The money in the system will all be siphoned off to the Treasury.
2: What kind of businesses are we talking about? Are we talking about the likes of, I don't know, retailers, supermarkets, universities, schools? Is it everybody? I mean, you'll see
1: some very big businesses on that list. You'll see the likes of, uh, you know, multinationals, uh, Tesco and and so on and Sainsbury's and big uh, household names like that. But you'll also see at the other end of that, because bear in mind, there are what about perhaps about 5000 companies that will have to pay this uh, tax. At the bottom end of that scale, you could see, you know, owners of, say, you know, a a small hotel, something like that, or a a leisure centre, a gym, those sorts of people, uh, uh, maybe someone with, you know, a few shops on, on the high street those people may also be affected. So it's, it goes from uh, some very, very big businesses to some relatively small ones. As a rule of thumb, it's companies that have annual energy bill of between half a million and three-quarters of a million pounds, which sounds like a lot, but actually some relatively small businesses, as you said, some universities, schools, hospitals and so on, are actually included in that.
2: So, Jim, I don't know if you want to jump in here, but presumably it doesn't sort of say very much about the government's supposed green credentials if they've come in with this stealth tax.
4: No well it's it is a big disappointment that they've decided to against recycling the the revenue from it I mean they could have done a number of things as you say there was a great deal of complexity with the previously designed system which meant that people weren't quite sure exactly where they would end up in terms of the amount of money that would get recycled so yes they've fixed the complexity but we would have much preferred to see uh, the pot of money ring fenced for investment in low carbon energy efficient projects which they could very easily have done siphoning it directly into the Treasury is is not something which is very consistent with its uh, green credentials, that's for sure.
2: And, and and also I thought the way that they announced it, I mean, it wasn't sort of part of the actual announcement of, of the Chancellor in the House of Commons, it was just a p- part of the sort of detail in, in, in the actual sort of paperwork at the end. I thought that was quite surprising, again, given their supposed green credentials. It,
1: it was sneaky, Yes, you know. <laughs> George Osborne didn't mention it in his speech. It was only afterwards when we all went back to our computer screens and we looked at uh, the documents that the Treasury had put put out that we actually saw what was happening and then
2: just just putting it into context though with with the other green announcements that osborne made yesterday yes it's a stealth tax yes it'll hit medium-sized businesses obviously quite a bit but if you weigh that up with all the other announcements um you know he made in terms of green things did do his credentials still stack up or or, i mean how big is it as a you know how big of a problem is it in in the context of everything else that he announced
4: well i think they announced quite a number of initiatives which are focused very much on the infrastructure problems which they need to fix in order to unleash, if you like, the green economy. So the £200 million they mentioned to enable investment in ports, um, they've identified quite a number of big bottlenecks, effectively, which nobody in the industry on its own could solve. So the offshore wind sector was effectively faced with um, with some serious inefficiencies, which hopefully this this money will will help unlock. the The billion for CCS again, that's a, a big infrastructure investment. Uh, it's very important to have stable energy production in a low carbon, so kind of sustainable a fashion. Whole billion up to okay, yes. exactly. Yeah. Well, to be fair to them, if they can get away with one for less than a billion, they should try. So I think up to a billion. I think people are pretty confident that the commitment, certainly on Demo 1 is there. Demos 2 to 4 is another issue. They've continued to delay on the issue around the CCS levy, uh, which will have an impact on the longer-term Sentiment by investors in CCS for the, for the next phase for of the demonstration next projects for carbon capture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All
2: right. Um, no. Well, thank you very much. Well, let's leave it there. We'll we'll see um, what happens to Mr. Osborne's green credentials um, as we as we wade through the detail. Thanks very much. Let, let's move on to T and K BP and BP. The, the Russian venture in which BP holds a 50% stake announced on Monday that it's paying $1.8 billion to buy BP's assets in Venezuela and Vietnam. The deal being pretty much widely flagged and is, is part of BP's attempt to raise $30 billion from asset disposals in the wake of its Gulf of Mexico oil spill. Now we've got Catherine from Moscow on the line and I did just wondered, is this um, t and BP helping out its old rival or, or does the Russian company also get something significant from the deal?
3: basically getting a, a very long-standing wish. It's always wanted to expand internationally. So in a way, it's seizing the opportunity of, of BP having to divest its assets. It's got a partner already that it knows how to talk to. So it was always on the inside track. And it's it's basically paid a, a decent sum of money. And it's not a sweetheart deal for BP's partner, but it's also they're also not overpaying either.
2: And what's the situation like now in, 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 in Russia for an oil company i think um we talked about this earlier in the week that, that the taxes are going up so it, it's, it's quite a good time for for somebody like, um, like 19 kbp to try and move outside of the country
3: I think they, it's one of the reasons why they've been looking to expand internationally for some time. It's just that the Russian environment, um, especially for privately owned companies or ones with uh, foreign participation like TNKBP, which is 50% owned by BP, have been facing um, sort of very limited access to uh, developing new fields. All the big new fields have been going to state-linked companies, Gazprom and Rosneft, uh, the state-controlled sort of energy champions have, have pretty much got the Arctic shelf sewn up. Um, no other companies are allowed access to the Arctic shelf where there are vast new resources to be tapped. And all the other um, fields in East Siberia seem to be going to state-linked companies too. And, and there was just one example recently. It was the first tender to develop a, a new field in in perhaps three or four years, uh, was announced recently, and only two companies were allowed to participate, and that was Sugut Neftegaz, which is very close to the Kremlin, and uh, another company, Bashneft, which has also got good... Kremlin links, and everyone else is left in the cold. And TNKBP really has a very old resource base. It doesn't actually have that many new green fields. So it's it's potentially facing production decline in Russia. It could invest more to get more out of the old fields, but under the current tax regime, that's pretty much prohibitive because... um, the government just takes so much money from upstream development.
2: Are we seeing a sort of a new chapter also in the relationship between T and GVP and BP? I mean, you've written quite a lot about. You know disagreements within the joint venture a couple of years ago, and Tony Hayward, the former chief exec of BP, has obviously now joined the board of TNK BP. Is, is, is this a sort of beginning of, of of an era of friendship or proper friendship between the two companies?
3: It looks like it's sort of cementing the peace agreement they reached two years ago after after such a, a horrible uh, standoff. Um, it seemed. Sort of quite astonishing, really, that it's only two years later since since Bob Dudley, now BP CEO, had, was forced to to flee Russia because he was just being harassed with lawsuits and all kinds of of things. He hasn't even disclosed, and and here he is, sort of saying, signing off on a deal to to get 1.8 billion from from the partners that he was fighting against. Um, before and I think I think it's I mean they're they're sort of learning to operate together and really T N K B P is is taking advantage of the moment that B P needs to sell its assets. I mean, who knows? Things change very quickly in Russia, so who knows what will happen in the future, but for now, um, they're all smiles and sort of working together and it's it's a win win situation for both sides.
2: Okay, we'll leave it on that positive note. Thank you very much, Catherine. And finally today, China, the world's largest consumer of energy, has set out new targets for energy efficiency and carbon emission reduction. Hello, Leslie, I just wondered if you could tell us very briefly what those targets were, uh, first off.
0: Sylvia, thanks so much for having me. Yes, China announced earlier this week that it plans to reduce energy intensity, which is a measure of energy consumed per unit of GDP, by 17.3 percent by 2015. And then from 2015 to 2020, uh, the plan is to cut energy intensity by another 16.6 percent. So this is building on um, China's last goal for energy intensity, which was to cut energy intensity by a fifth by this year, that goal has pro- proven to be very difficult and quite painful uh, for Chinese industry. So the fact that China has renewed its commitments to these targets uh, this week is quite significant.
2: Right. And presumably all this is going to cost quite a lot. Have they, have they also announced a sort of corresponding spending plan on this in terms of focusing on, on, new, on new, new types of energy?
0: We are expecting an emerging energy uh, stimulus plan to be rolled out soon. Uh, China has quite a wide definition of emerging ener- energy, and it includes things like unconventional gas, nuclear energy, as well as your standard renewables like wind and solar. And the figure that's been attached to that plan by uh, Chinese think tanks and, and officials, and informally, is around five trillion renminbi, So it's quite significant.
2: And, and Jim, I just wondered if if you could jump in here. Um, I mean, you've looked at the Chinese um, ambitions on this on, on on green energy. I just wondered what you made of the plans that were announced
4: well it's it's quite interesting it's quite consistent actually with the trends that we've seen in in renewable energy more more generally particularly on on wind and solar we publish a, a quarterly index at Ernst and Young and uh, we we rank all the countries in terms of their attractiveness for investors in renewable energy and China actually topped our global list uh, in the last quarter because they've focused so much on renewable energy wind and solar in particular driving domestic demand to build an export industry effectively. So their turbine production production and solar panel production has, has increased significantly, driven by domestic demand, and then that's pushing a large export market for them.
2: And Leslie, how much in terms of supply in China, how much is actually currently provided by renewable energy? I mean, is it, is it a tiny amount?
0: Non-fossil fuels are just under 8% at the moment, and the government wants to grow that to 15%. Percent by 2020, which is a huge jump. Uh, and so we are going to see a, a lot of a, a huge expansion in nuclear capacity. For example, there are 120 proposed nuclear reactors that have um, been brought up by local governments. Uh, and that's just, that's just one area where we're going to see non-fossil fuel energy grow, grow a lot.
2: One thing that's always interested me is is this debate about um, the potential for shale gas in China. Are we seeing a lot there? I know Chevron, the U.S. company, um, has publicly said that they are talking to some of the Chinese um, national oil companies about potentially doing some sort of deal on on shale gas development in the country.
0: There is a lot of interest in shale gas. China's thought to have really significant reserves of shale gas, which is, of course, natural gas that's trapped in a, a... Shale formation; it needs to be cracked open before you can extract the gas. It's not currently um, being commercially produced in China, so those projects are in their very initial phases of uh, exploration and geological assessment. But it could be a huge potential. And as I mentioned, China includes unconventional gas like shale in its definition of the emerging energies. The stimulus will. And courage. So that could be a big area for growth.
2: Just finally, what's the sort of uh, view of, of the general public on, on things like energy efficiency in China? I mean, are they sort of very aware of this at all? I mean, obviously, we are aware of this sort of thing in Europe. but But what's the public saying about these sorts of plans in China?
0: Energy efficiency is all over China. Even when you go to your hotel, there's a little uh, coupon in the bathroom saying, "You know, to save energy, we don't want to wash our towels every day, and uh, and, and things like that." It's uh, on airlines. Um, you'll see advertisements on the back of a of your of your seat that are advertising companies that do consulting on energy efficiency. Measures. So it, it is a huge deal. Everyone's thinking about it, and uh, companies are, are trying to make a big push in this area to help. But saving energy is painful, and upgrading plants to make them more efficient is expensive. So it's uh, it's not always an easy process.
2: All right. That's no, obviously a, a long term goal for all of us. Um, thank you very much, Leslie. Um, and that's all we have time for today. All that's left is for me to thank my guests in this studio Dr. Jim Fitzgerald, Fiona Harvey, Catherine Belton in Moscow, and Leslie Hook in Beijing. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. Until next week, goodbye.
1: For more downloads, go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.